Well, greeting to those in the room and greetings to those outside the room. We're glad you're with us. How many of us have traditions of some kind? Maybe they're sports traditions, maybe holiday traditions. How about since we're just a few hours from lunch, how about we do some food traditions? Is that okay? Get your appetite wet and, or make you mad at me? How, let's do So how many of you have a like Christmas food tradition? We do at our home. We have these Christmas morning only. I don't know why we only do Christmas morning, but Christmas morning, my wife makes these homemade cinnamon rolls. It has this kind of syrupy cream that goes across the top, and I love to have some of those with like peppered bacon. Doesn't that sound good? Or maybe for some of you, one of your traditions is for your anniversary, you go to that restaurant and you spend that 50, 60, 85, $125 on that just nice, juicy steak. And how about kids? How about a tradition for you maybe is you get to pick out the, the, the birthday dessert. And so maybe it's a pecan pie with homemade ice cream. You know, who's hungry? So there are all kinds of traditions. There's food traditions. There's also religious traditions. And maybe some of you have some religious traditions. Maybe you have a tradition of every year of reading through the Bible. Well, we're going to see some men in this story this morning who are all about religious tradition. And we're going to see this in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. And traditions can be memorable, they can be beneficial, but here we're going to see these leaders are all in when it comes to tradition. And you might be surprised at how Jesus responds to them. And so turn with me to Mark chapter 7. And we're going to begin in verse 1. As you're turning there, just a couple of background notes for you. One is, in this story, or just prior to this story, the context, Jesus has just fed thousands and thousands of people. It's actually the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. And so Jesus feeds this enormous crowd of people. But this miracle is a tipping point for Jesus and his ministry. Because it's after feeding these thousands and thousands of people that the crowd, they have their fill of bread and they start to leave Jesus. And so while the crowd leaves Jesus, though, his disciples begin to press in. But also we see the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they also press in on Jesus as well. And Jesus is going to speak to an issue that is very common today. And not just common today, but extremely dangerous for the follower of Christ. For that, because it is common and at the same time dangerous, let's turn our attention to Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered to him, that's Jesus, After they came from Jerusalem, and they saw that some of his disciples were eating their bread with unholy hands, that is, unwashed. Verse 3. For the Pharisees and all the other Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, and thereby holding firmly to the tradition of the elders. And when they had come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they completely cleanse themselves, and there are many other things in which they have received as traditions to firmly hold, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, 
Why do your disciples not walk in accordance with the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with unholy hands? Now, do we have any college athletes? Maybe we have some engagements online. Any college athletes in the room? I was no college athlete, but uh, I remember in being in elementary school and in middle school in our hometown, we had this incredible athlete. And he was so good. He got recruited by colleges all over the country. He got recruited for basketball and football and eventually made it to the Ohio State and then eventually was drafted into the NFL, a number 10 pick. And I remember being a young boy in this small town in East Texas, and scouts and coaches from major colleges would come to our little town in East Texas, and they would scout out this athlete. Well, that's what's happening here. You have these religious leaders, and it says, this is important, they're from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the spiritual center for Jewish religion. And so because they are from Jerusalem, this spiritual center, that makes these Pharisees and these scribes the spiritual heavyweights, the religious elite, the spiritual scouts. And so they, they come, they descend on Jerusalem. And these Pharisees and scribes, these religious leaders, they, they were, I'll be honest, they, they probably were like a lot of us. God family, and country. They had a zeal for God like no other. They had a commitment for family, and they had a love for country. And so in this story, when I read it and I kind of try to put myself in it, I tend to see a Pharisee. And so these spiritual heavyweights, they come to Jerusalem. And they're there for a there's big deal happening. There's this big deal, and his name is Jesus. And so they've come to not just watch, but they've come to maybe trick him. They've come to spy on him because they've heard about him. And they want to collect this information and take it back to Jerusalem. And so they're scouting out Jesus. And notice in verse 2, it says, his disciples, Jesus, they were, they were eating their bread without washing their hands. Maybe my text, maybe your text says with unholy hands. And so they're scouting Jesus out, and they see, they see his disciples eating but not washing their hands. And Mark, the, the obvious writer of this gospel, is, is writing to an audience most likely in Rome. And this audience is probably not familiar with Jewish tradition and rituals. And so Mark is going to try to help his original readers and us understand a little bit about what's happening. And so you see that in verse 3. He's going to give us some context. He says, For the Pharisees and other Jews do not eat. And so we're talking about eating a meal unless they carefully wash their hands, thereby holding firmly to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they completely cleanse themselves. And so there is a tradition here of hand washing. So before you would come to my house, before I would go to your house, we would have this hand washing ceremony before we would eat. And it was pretty extensive. So you would come into my house and there would be a, a pot or a picture designated just for hand washing. Like you didn't drink out of it, you didn't wash your clothes, it was only for washing your hands. 
And you would come in to my home, or I would come into your home, and we would put our hands like this. So go ahead, a little participation with me, whether online or in here. And you would hold your hands, and I would take a glass cup, and I would take just the right amount of water, and they measure it out. And so I would take the water from the picture, you would have your hands up, and I would pour the water down your hands as they're like this. And as your hands are like this, they're unclean, but as the water comes, it begins to clean off the defilement of your hands. But it all rushes down to your wrist. And so now you have all this unclean, uncleanness around your wrist. So then you turn your hands down. That was called the first wash. Now there's the after wash. I would take the cup and I would get the clean water and I would now pour it down your hands and the clean water would wash off all the unclean water which would then fall on the floor and not down my wrist, but we're not done. Then you take your clean wrist and you do it like this to clean this hand and do this to clean this hand and now we eat. This was the tradition of the elders when it came to washing our hands. And notice, though, in the rest of verse 4, it says, And there are many other things which they have received as traditions to firmly hold, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and copper pots. So they had hundreds and hundreds of traditions. And let me see if I can kind of help us understand how it came to be that they had all these traditions. So go back with me to the Old Testament. Hang with me. If maybe, maybe church is something new for you, but hang with me. So in the Old Testament, God gives Moses, the leader of the Jewish people, he gives them, he gives Moses the law to give to the people. And many of us are familiar with the Ten Commandments. But before God gives the Ten Commandments, he says this to Moses in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God. I am your God. You're my people. It's personal. And notice he says, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. So the foundation, the fountain, if you will, of God's law is this personal, saving, rescuing, redeeming love of God. That's what the Ten Commandments, the, the law of God, is birthed out of. And so God causes people to live a certain way. And so the people try, and they what? They fail. And they try, and they fail. And they turn their back on God, and God being a loving father, a loving, like a loving parent, he disciplines his children, his people, and he sends them out to be ruled by foreign leaders in foreign countries. We call this the exile. And we've studied this in the past year. But God, again, brings his people back. And the people, knowing their tendency, knowing their tendency to break God's law, knowing that they're going to do that, they set up traditions. And these traditions were passed from family to family to family to family. It's called the oral law, the tradition of the elders. 
And it was eventually compiled and written down. And I want to read to you what it says. It's called the Mishnah. It's part of their Talmud. It says this. Be deliberate in judgment. Raise up many disciples. And this is what I want you to see. And make a fence around the law. See, the religious leaders were fence builders. They thought if they could put up enough traditions, enough fences that they would be able to protect the law and to keep you and me from breaking it. And so they would set up tradition after tradition after tradition after tradition. So you don't just clean your hands, now you clean your cup. And you don't just clean your cup, you got to clean your pot. And you don't just clean your pot, now you got to clean your pitcher. So you get the idea of tradition after tradition after tradition after tradition to protect the law and to keep you and me from breaking it. And so traditions became paramount for the one trying to follow, the one trying to follow God. Now, John Calvin, who's a a spiritual leader, he's long been gone, but he says this about Jewish traditions. All the traditions that then existed among the Jews had come out of their own workshop. They fabricated these. They they made these out of their own workshop. So the idea is they didn't come from God. And this was the reason why they displayed them more than ordinary zeal and bitterness in defending them. And that's what we're seeing in this story. They're holding so tightly to these traditions, then when they see people not following traditions, they get angry. And we see this in verse 5. And the Pharisees and the scribes, again, the religious leaders of the day, they ask Jesus, why do your disciples not walk in accordance with the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with unholy hands? Now, I can understand Asking Peter, Andrew, James, and John, hey, why don't you guys wash your hands? They were fishermen. So I get the idea of saying, hey, you guys ought to wash, smelly, you know, you kind of stinky, messing with fish. I get that. But if you'll notice here, they're not concerned with personal hygiene. They're concerned with spiritual hygiene. Notice it says, why do they eat their bread with un?" Holy hands. Why? Why? Jesus, why do you let them do that? Why do you let them eat their meal without washing their hands? They got unholy hands. Why, Why do you do that? See, for the Pharisee and the scribe, their acceptance, their acceptance by God, their righteousness in front of God, they believed it came because they were clean on the outside. They thought they were accepted and loved by God because they were clean on the outside. They had clean hands. But Jesus, he doesn't answer their question. Instead, he calls them to kind of pay attention to themselves. But Jesus said to them in verse 6, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites. 
He calls them phonies. He calls them phonies. Pretenders, actors, phonies. Now, I don't know about you, but I am a, I'm not a name brand guy. Like, I, I'm a no name brand guy. And, and if you were to ask me, I think that's a strength. But if you ask my wife, I think she would probably disagree and say that's a weakness of mine. Because when I go in the big box stores and I see the name brand packing tape, you get three rolls for $12. And, but then I go down the aisle and there's like 100 rolls of the off-brand that's like half the price. I just can't help myself. And so I went to the store and I had in my hands the name brand. And I walked down the aisle and there's the, the, the off-brand. I, I just can't help myself. So I, 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 I leave the name brand and go with the off-brand and I come home. And you know what my wife says to me? You bought cheap tape, didn't you? And I say, absolutely. But we've got 12 rolls instead of three. But then I start using it, and I know why. It's, che- it's cheap. It's a phony. And Jesus says to these guys, you are phonies. Now, how in the world are the spiritual heavyweights of the day, how are they phonies? Because, again, I kind of see myself, if I'm being honest with you, I... I kind of see myself in the story. Well, Jesus says this. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me, and in vain they worship me. So on the outside, don't miss this, on the outside, these Pharisees and these scribes, they are honoring God, and they are worshiping God. They are they're singing. They're attending Bible study. I mean, they are honoring God with their lips, and they are worshiping him on the outside. They're like my watch. So I've got this watch, my friend. We, we um, graduated with our PhDs, and so he spent a lot of money, bought us these really nice watches that they match. But this watch has said 535 for about the last two years. <laughs> so it looks good on the outside, but it's broke. And you could take it, I could take it, and I could shine the leather. I could maybe get some of the scuff marks up, and it would look really good. But it's still broken. See, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they are outwardly alive, but inwardly they are dead. They're dead. And we know that because Jesus says, you honor me with your lips, but your heart, the center of your being is far from me. And yes, you worship me, but it's empty. And Jesus, later on in the story, he gathers his disciples and he says this to them. In Mark 7, 20, and he was saying, That which comes out of the person, that is what defiles the person. For from within, out of the hearts of people, 
come evil thoughts and acts of sexual morality. And he goes on and lists evil behaviors. See, Jesus says, it's, it's not that you, you have unclean hands. It's that you have an unclean heart. Outwardly, you are alive, but inwardly, you are dead. Your heart is far from me, and your worship is in vain. This was a revolutionary moment for the people of God and for us today. Because Jesus says it's about your heart. It's not about all these fences that have been put in front of you. See, our elevation of tradition, it can foster a spiritual pride that leaves us outwardly alive but inwardly dead. See, when we elevate tradition, we can do these things, then in the sudden this spiritual pride starts to rise in us. But it leaves us, like the Pharisees, outwardly alive but inwardly dead. And so as I think about the story, I think about us, I think about our context, I think about where we are. See, the Pharisees, they go to Jesus and they, they, they say to Jesus, why don't your disciples follow our ways? And I kind of tried to, like, what would that look like for us today? And I started making a list of things. Maybe for us, it would be, we would say questions like this. Why doesn't that person use the same translations of the Bible, the same translation of the Bible that I use? Why don't they use the New King James Version? New King James Version. Why don't they dress the way that I dress? Because that's what God accepts. Or why don't they listen to the, the Bible teacher that I listen to? Because the Bible teacher I listen to, she's really got it all together. Or he's really got it all together. And they don't listen to him or her. Why don't they sing the kind of songs that I like to sing? Those are the songs that God really likes. Or why don't they do the spiritual exercises that I do? And so what we do, we become fence builders. And we start elevating tradition in a way that tradition becomes paramount. And this is what the Pharisees were doing. And Jesus said, it's not about your external behavior only. It first starts with the heart. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, and in vain, verse 7, do they worship me and teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so here's what they're doing. They're taking their teaching and they're elevating it to be doctrine. Verse 8, neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. And this is what he says. He's going to give an example. He, he was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. You set aside the command of God to keep your tradition. Now I grew up in a small East Texas town, and we could ride our bikes all over town. And I remember I rode with some young men, and their parents would say, do not Ride your bikes across the highway. There were a few highways in our town. Do not ride your bikes across the highway. You know what we would do? 
Well, no. We would get off our bike and walk it across the highway. So you see what we would do there? We found a loophole to get around the law. And Jesus says to the Pharisees and the scribes, this is what you're doing. You're using your traditions to find a loophole to get around from being obedient to God. And he gives an example. It's called the practice of Corbin. He says, for Moses said, this is the law, this is God's law. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. Can I get an amen? And the one who speaks evil of father or mother is certainly to be put to death. If we practice that, I would not be standing here today. Verse 11, but you say, so now here's the tradition. That's what God's law says. Now it's the tradition. Here's what you say, Jesus says. If a person says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that, you would, that would help you is Corban. That is given to God. You no longer allow him to do anything for his father or his mother. There, thereby invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. So here's what he's saying. Your mom and dad are sick. You're supposed to obey your mom and dad, and you've got these financial resources to help take care of your mom and dad. But there is a tradition that says, hey, you can set aside these, these resources, these financial resources, as Corbin. And what that means is these are set aside for the work of God. And so you can say to your parents, I can't help you, even though you're sick, or even though you can't pay your rent, because this money is set aside for the work of God. And therefore, they find a loophole. They can keep the commandment and keep what they want for selfish gain. They hold to, they hold to to get around. That was their strategy. They would hold to their tradition to get around the law of God. See, when we elevate tradition, it fosters spiritual pride. And that leads us to hold to tradition to get around God's law, God's best for us. You know, for some of you this morning, maybe in a room this size, maybe even those engaged with us online, you might be kind of like my watch this morning. On the outside, you look alive. You're going to Bible study after Bible study. You carry your Bible. You pray out loud. You raise your hands. But inwardly, you are broken. And the good news for you this morning is this, is that God knows that, and he did something about it. See, you can't fix my watch. I can't fix my watch. But you know who can fix my watch? The one that designed the watch. I can't fix your heart, you can't fix your heart, but the one that designed your heart can. And he did that by sending a son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life and died on the cross to absorb the wrath of God, to take on your sin. But Jesus died, he was buried, but he was raised again and defeated and conquered sin and death so that you and I could stand in front of God as righteous and holy. He's done that for you. 
Would you please pray with me this morning? Our great God, our great God and loving Father, we thank you that you do not leave us to ourselves. We're thankful that you made a way. And so, Father, I want to pray for the one among us who's far from you, who is, looks good on the outside, but inwardly inside, they're struggling and hurting. God, I just pray right now for that, that man, that woman, that boy, that girl. I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to work in their hearts this morning and that you would start the work of, of renewing their heart through faith in Christ Jesus alone. And Father, for your household, for your people, may we be a people doesn't build fences but may we be a people that's been changed on the inside we ask all this in the great name of our King Jesus